We have been studying the book of James, and I've been telling you how James gives us a lot of practical advice for living, practical advice especially for living through a pandemic, through this whole COVID crisis. Um, And the theme, if there's one central theme in James, that theme is that your faith is really kind of what you claim to believe is worthless. Your faith is worthless if it's not translated into your everyday life, if it's not translated into actions, if it doesn't show up, if your faith doesn't show up in your life, then you're actually fooling yourself, he says. So James, the book of James has tons of verbs in it, action words, activities, actions for us to do that are not just not just things that we need to do in a, in a COVID crisis or in a pandemic, but are really in any crisis, really in, in any season of our life. Probably two of the most important verses, theme verses in the book of James, are these first two there on your outline. And as we've been going through James, uh, we covered James 1, then James 2, then half of James 3. I'm going to bounce back and just pick out a verse from... James chapter 1 and a verse from James chapter 2 are kind of our theme verses. James one twenty two says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And James is saying that you don't just go out and do a Bible study or you just don't show up to church and let God's word go in one ear and out the other. He says, you're fooling yourself. You're kidding yourself. If you're Doing self-deception, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He says, if you, hear the, if you hear the word of God and it doesn't change you, if it doesn't change your behavior, then you're just kidding yourself. Because nothing really changes in our life until we put God's word into practice. He says, don't just be a knower of the word. Don't just be a, a hearer of the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. So we have to act on it if we're going to get any benefit out of it or if, if this book is going to get in our life. In turn, our, our convictions have to be converted into our behavior, into our conduct. And for us to get blessed by the Bible, the principles of the Bible have to be translated into the performance of our life and our day-to-day activity. So today's message, we're just going to kind of slow it down and focus in on just one, one verse. It's, it's a simple verse. It's not even a verse that you're going to need me to explain to you or, or kind of... Uh, teach you what the meaning is. It's pretty straightforward. It doesn't need an interpretation or an explanation. It's something that we just need. We need to learn how to do it. So that's what we're going to do is focus our time on. What does this look like in the year 2020, the dreaded COVID year? What, is, what does it look like to fulfill this verse? So James 2.8 kind of sounds familiar. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. That's it. I want to talk about how to do that. How do we put into action, how are we going to love our neighbor as ourself in a pandemic, in a crazy year? And, of course, James is quoting, the reason why it sounds so familiar to you, is he's quoting the great commandment that Jesus talked about. The Bible says that one day someone came up to Jesus, a man came up to Jesus and he asked him a question, what is the greatest commandment? I'll just read it to you from from one of, one of the places that is found in Scripture is Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. It says that a man asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen to Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We've heard that before. That's the number one commandment in life. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And God says these two go together. That this is one commandment, the great commandment, and there's two parts to the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because you can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you don't love your neighbor. That's what he's saying. He's saying you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So God considers them one commandment with just with two parts. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But that story I read to you in Mark, the great commandment, isn't found just in one or two or three places. It's not found four or five or six times even. It's not found seven or eight times, but it's found nine times in the New Testament. Nine times this command is given to us. It's as if God is saying, come on, people. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to forget this. This is the top thing to do. The number one reason I've left you on the planet is to learn to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget this. Don't minimize this. Don't just read it over and go on. He's put it in here nine times because he says this is the number one reason you're on the planet Earth. And I wonder, how are we doing with our number one priority? As I said, I don't need to explain it or interpret it. We just need to love our neighbor as ourselves this week. But what does that look like? How are we going to do that? You see, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, nothing else matters. The Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 4 that our love for each other shows that the love of God is in us. In fact, in, John, in 1 John 4 it says, if you don't love your brother then the love of God is not in you. You don't know God. It's our number one priority on earth. Before we look at how to do that, I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of the word love because that is a confusing word in our culture with our English language. English language is a weak language. What I mean by that is there's too many words that mean two different things, right? There's three twos. There are three theirs. There's all kinds of confusing words that we use that mean multiple different things. Even just the word love, the way we use the word love, what is love? It's so overused. Sometimes, you know, we use the word love. It has so many, I say, I love my wife, Nancy. She's my high school sweetheart. I love her with all my heart. And then I say, I love the Miami Dolphins. But it's different. I don't love them equally. And some of you might be confused because I'm not wearing a Nancy jersey. So you might think, oh, he loves the dolphins. No. I say things like I love peanut butter. And I love peanut butter, but I mean I don't love peanut butter like I love the dolphins. I don't love peanut butter or the dolphins like I love my lifelong soulmate, right? So we use this word love kind of flippantly sometimes. 
But there's a couple of things I want you to understand that people think people think about love. People think that love's a feeling, but love's not a feeling. It it creates feelings, but you know you can't command a feeling. You can't say I command you to feel a certain way. You moms, you know this. Moms of toddlers, moms of elementary kindergartners, you know I you know I I, com- I command you to be happy. <laughs> like I'm trying, mommy. You know. And then we say I'll give you something to cry about. Like that helps, right? What does that mean? It's just confusing for kids. It's confusing for me. You know, it doesn't work. We can't command a feeling. And, and then a lot of people think that love is kind of like, it's not in my stomach or quiver in my liver or, you know, it gives me goosebumps. It's an ocean of emotion. You know, we listen to love songs and that even confuses it even more. You see, here's the problem. Love is not goosebumps. Okay. Feelings are fickle. You get married and all you have is the feeling of love. Love, feelings come and go. I mean, if I were to, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not asking you, so nobody raise their hand, okay? If I were to ask you to raise your hand if you always felt loving towards your spouse, always, always felt love feelings towards your none of us could probably raise our hand. And, of course, we didn't ask that question, so it's okay. So nobody raised their hand. Because love is far more than a feeling. The other thing people mistake, it's a myth about love, is people must have this, this feeling or this, they believe that love is uncontrollable. That somehow, I mean, even the language we use about love, it's like, I fell in love. It's like I'm walking along, I pay attention, and like a ditch, I fell in love. I just fell in. You know, it's not my fault. You know, I wasn't looking for love in all the wrong places. I just fell in love. And, and then, or, or people say, I fell out of love, which must mean I climbed out of the ditch. I got out of the hole, right? And, and I, 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 but that's kind of what we say. It's not my fault. You know, I, I, I fell in love with someone who's not my spouse. And it's not my fault. You know, I fell in love with, or I just can't help it. I don't love her or him anymore. See, here's the thing. Love is a choice. It's not something that it's a feeling or uncontrollable. That's the first thing I want you to write down, that what God says about love, and by the way, God is the source of all love. In 1 John, it says that God is love, not that he has love, but that God is love. God says two things about love. Love is a choice, that we choose to love someone, or we choose to not love someone. Colossians 3.14 says, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So he's comparing this. He says it's just like getting dressed. We have a choice what shirt, what blouse, what jersey we put on today. Look around the room. Everybody that's wearing clothes today, they pick that out themselves. You know, most of you dressed yourselves. You know, your spouse might have dressed you. Somebody chose what you're wearing today, you know, you're not wearing that to church, are you? <laughs> you know the answer to that. Of course not, honey. <laughs> what am I wearing? Right. Uh, so love is a choice. And love is an action, God says. Love is an action. It's something that we do. It's not something that we feel. Love is something we do. Love isn't passive. And when, when it comes to being doers of the word, this is what brings us right back to what James is talking about. Not hearers, not knowers of the word, 
but being a doer of the word. John, 1 John 3.18 says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So God says love is a choice and love is an action. Love is something that we do. It's more than a thought. It's more than you walk down the aisle and you, and you see the Hallmark card and you look at it and go, oh, yeah, I love her so much, and you put it back and just keep on going. It's more than that. Love is actually paying the nine ninety nine, Or at least, you know, looking both ways and taking a picture of it and sending it to her, right? Some of you, you don't get as much credit as the nine ninety nine. The question today is how? Okay, Jerry, if love is a choice and love is an action, how do I choose and go through with the action of loving my neighbor? Especially during a COVID-19 thing where we're supposed to be social distancing, we got masks and shields on. Some of you, you don't even leave the house without your PPE. You look like you're going in for surgery, right? You're like fully covered and you're heading to the mailbox. I see you and it's like, man, it's 100 degrees out here. We're supposed to be socially distancing. We're supposed to be staying six feet away from each other. We're, how do I love my neighbor in a pandemic? I want to suggest five broad areas that I want you to jot down. Five ways that this week, this week we can start to show love to our neighbors, which, by the way, is the number one commandment why we're left on the planet, our number one purpose. So the first thing I jotted down, the first category that I can do to show love to my neighbor, to love my neighbor as myself, is number one, I got to get to know my neighbors individually. I got to get to know my neighbors individually. And this might be a duh, I mean, uh, of course. But here's the thing. Do you know all your neighbors? Well, you know, metaphorically speaking, no, I'm talking about the people who live across the street from me and the two people on either side of them, the people who live on both sides of you, the people who live behind you and on both sides of the person behind you. Those eight households, do you know them? In other words, if this was like on a... If this was like on the Hollywood squares, you'd be like the Paul Lynn around those people. If this was like the Brady Bunch, you're the Alice, and you're looking for Bobby and Cindy. You know, if, if this is like your Zoom group, you're in, the middle, you're in the middle box there, okay? Do you know all the people all around you? Do you know them by, by name? We can't love someone if we don't know them. In America, particularly the suburbs... It's possible, in fact, it's probably probable that you might have lived in your neighborhood for years and you don't know the names of all your neighbors. We have this thing that they invented that you work with your thumb called the garage door opener. And you can, bzz, you can buzz right up, pull in, bzz, and never meet any of your neighbors. You can live there for years. So my guess is most of us don't know everybody on our street. It's a purely American mentality. Um, and if we live in a if we live in the suburbs, which most of us, you know, you live in a gated community, you live in a community of people, it's easy for you to live there for years and never know the person living next door to you. So the starting point, if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, is we have to get to know them personally, by name. Some of you know, you've read on Facebook that Nancy and I are moving at the end of the month. Don't worry, we're only moving about two miles away. Our house is two miles from church. We're doubling our commute. It's going from three minutes to six minutes. And we've lived for the last four years in an awesome neighborhood with some incredible neighbors. 
And a lot of my neighbors uh, are families from India. Lots of Hindus in my neighborhood. And their names are difficult for me. They're difficult for me to pronounce and even more difficult for me to spell. But I have two neighbors who live across the street, Lauren, and next to her, Raj. And those are my two neighbors who have helped me because they, they know everybody. So I asked my neighbor, Lauren, I say, Lauren, who are the people that live over there? And she says, oh, those are the, those are the. and I said, well, what about the ones over there? Or I'll say to Raj, I say, who lives behind them? Or who, who, what are their kids' names kind of, a, kind of a thing? And when they start telling me that, I pull out my phone and I open up my notes and I have a neighborhood document in my notes and I put in there, okay, and I, and I just phonetically spell it the best way that I can because I've got Deepak on the corner. I've got Vinay, who's catty corner behind uh, Terry. I've got Lugzumi. Uh, I have no idea how to spell that. Uh, next, and Sila, who live next to me, and across from them is Ram next to Raj. And Raj's wife is Anuja, and his kids are Sharia and Veer. And they live next to Lauren and Ryan and their, and their son, Nolan. Nolan's kind of like the little mayor of our area, second grade mayor. And um, pretty good, right? But before you get all excited about um, Pastor Jerry and pat him on the back, let's realize... I realized as I was preparing this message that I only know about half my neighbor's names because so many of them have moved. I'm Lizumi and Sila. They moved down to South Florida, and people are renting their house, and I don't know their names yet. And um, Brian and Angela, who usually watch online, hi, Angela, if you're watching, uh, they live behind me. They moved, and new people moved in. I think it's Ken, and I'm not really sure. Amy, maybe Ken and Amy. Um, But the people next to Terry moved, and I don't know the people who moved in there. So I've got some work to do, and it's a little weird, right? Because Isn't it awkward? I mean, if you've lived next to someone or across the streets from somebody in four, for four years, how do you start that conversation? That's what's awkward, right? It's like, uh, hey, you know, I know, I know we've lived across the street from each other for like four years, and, uh, and I should know your name, but... Um, in fact, you probably, I think I remember you telling me your name, but I don't have any idea. Bob? Larry? Maurice? Oh, I knew you were a veggie tale, you know. Did I say that? Awkward, right? You're like, awkward. If you don't know the veggie tales, I'll pray for you. Who the characters are. Listen, if we're going to keep the most important commandment, that our Lord and Savior has given us, we're going to have to push through awkward. We're going to have to say, you know, I know you've told me your name like seven times. What is your name again? And maybe if it's awkward enough, you'll do like me and you'll, you'll get yourself a cheat sheet so that when you're walking outside and you see them all, you go, oh, hold, hold on a minute. I mean, they think you're checking their calendar or whatever, right? You're texting somebody and you're like, look, zoom me, look, you know, and you, you, Hey, and they're like, whoa, he remembered my name. I know it's awkward. Now, when I move to the new neighborhood, you know what I'm going to have to do? I've got to do what you need to do. You need to find the Raj and the Lauren in your neighborhood. Who, who, they already know everybody. Find them and ask them. When I move to the new neighborhood, I'm going to find the Raj or the, the Lauren, and I'm going to say, hey, who's him? Who, who lives there? And what's his wife's name? And, and who, who lives over there? You know how you find those people? You don't find them. They find you. 
They come and say, hey, my name's Raj, and I've been here for some such years. What is your name? And that's the person. You want to know their name and find out everybody that, that they know. Ask him or her to tell you their names. All right. Proverbs 18.24 from the New King James Version says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Your mama's been telling you that since kindergarten. If you want to have friends, be a friend. Be a friend to have for friend. She didn't even know she was quoting the Bible, did she? You can go home and tell her, Mom, you know how you've been telling me that I need to have a, be a friend to have a friend? Yeah, it's actually in the Bible. She won't believe you. It's a duh thing, isn't it? Well, we've got to start being friendly with people. Romans twelve sixteen says, be friendly with everyone. Circle the word everyone. Be friendly with everyone. That's hard. There are some hard to be friendly to people in my life. Aren't there in your life? There are people that they're just grouchy. They're just mean. They, they need a hug. Don't even have to hug them now. It's like, heck, COVID, I'm not hugging you, right? But they need a lot of hugs. They, they've, been, they've been corned. They've been distancing for a long time. So this is what the Bible says. Be friendly with everyone. Don't be proud. Don't think you're better than them. Don't feel like you're smarter than everybody else. If we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if we want to keep the number one commandment, love God with all your heart and love other people. Be friendly with them. Did you know that God gets a huge thrill? God enjoys watching his people fellowship and be friends with other people that he's created. There's an example of this found in the Old Testament, prophet of Zechariah 3.10, where it says, each of you, this is Zechariah 3.10, says, then each of you will live at peace and entertain your friends in your own vineyard under your own fig trees. It says that God is thrilled when his children are friends with other people that he's created and we have fellowship and friendship with them. He's in just relax and have a barbecue. Just relax and have a cup of tea or a glass of, of Coke. Ha, ha, have, have some leisure time relaxing with your friends. God says, I mean, I, did you not see the Bible? He enjoys watching people have fellowship together. One time the Apostle Paul, he went through so much, the Apostle Paul, so many difficulties that we've talked about. One of the times he was in a ship that not only wrecked it, it, it disintegrated, it fell apart, and he was in the water, and he literally surfed on driftwood. He's one of the original surfers. Those of you who have long hair, you should read the Apostle Paul's letters. He surfs onto the island of Malta. He floats in on driftwood, and he says in Acts 28, at the end of Acts, he says, The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. This is what the Apostle Paul says. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire right there on the beach and made us feel welcome. And I read that, and I wonder, are we that kind of neighbor? Where strangers kind of come floating into our world, do we make our neighbors feel welcome? So this is the first step. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, the first thing I do is get to know my neighbors. Second thing, I encourage my neighbors continually. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I've got to encourage my neighbors continually. Get to know my neighbors by name and then encourage them. You know what? Everybody needs encouragement right now. 
This has been the hardest year in almost everybody's life. And when you meet somebody who says, this hasn't been the hardest year of my life, man, like I said, it's got to be like Nam, or it's got to be prison camp, or it's got to be, you know, some tragedy that's just, it's the hardest year in almost everybody's life. And Proverbs 12:25 says, worry weighs a person down, and encouraging word cheers a person up. Everybody's worried right now. So everybody needs an encouraging word. Everybody needs hope right now. Everybody we meet at work, at school, in our neighborhood, in church, everybody has a hurt. Many people, it's hidden. It's a hidden hurt. But it's a hurt. Everybody gets discouraged and needs a lift. So let me ask you, are you an encourager or are you a discourager? Do you encourage people or do you discourage people? Do you give more compliments or do you give more criticisms? Do you give more strokes or more pokes? Here's how we fulfill the most important command in the Bible in life. Be positive. Find something encouraging to say to someone. Say, man, your yard looks great. Rather than, man, your yard finally looks good. I've finally cut it. I'm glad you finally got around to it. No, don't give a backhanded compliment. Your kids sure are growing. You know, you can find something good to say about anybody. Ask them questions. Hey, how are you guys doing in this whole COVID thing? Great question. Great conversation starter. Hey, you guys got enough toilet paper? That'll start the conversation going. Oh, yeah, we found something down to be just, oh, they had a big, I'm down to my last 14 rolls. Last 14, okay. Um, It's an emergency, you know. So it's the little things that kind of break the ice with people who are your neighbors. Uh, A couple years ago, we baked, I mean, really Nancy baked, but I'm just saying we in the, you know, we're one kind of way. Um, A few years ago, Nancy baked a bunch of Christmas cookies. I delivered them. And uh, to all of our neighbors, knock, 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 there were Christmas cookies. Hey, you know, I just want to give you some Christmas cookies. We live, da-da-da, next to so-and-so. Oh, across from Raj. Everybody knows Raj. So it's a, exactly great conversation starter right there. But, you know, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be cool? You don't have to wait to December to make co- Christmas cookies. Wouldn't it be cool if we delivered Christmas cookies to people in a month that's not named December? I know, you're like, what? I said, no. I said, what if we showed up, bing bong, and you say, hey, I just wanted to bring you some Christmas cookies, and before they look at you like, uh, weird, you, you, you just say, look, I know it's not December, but I really just want this year to hurry up and be over. So Merry Christmas. Let's be done with this, okay? Or Happy Holidays if you have a, a bunch of Hindus like I do. You know, and, and bake some Christmas cookies. Blame it on your pastor. My pastor had this lame idea. We're going to take Christmas cookies to everybody in September, October, November, before December, and just say, Merry Christmas. Wish this year was over. That'll start a conversation. They won't forget you, you know. That's the thing. We, we, we need to know people's real names. I know you have names for all your neighbors. 
You know, we'll do a whole message on repentance for that later. I know. Weird haircut guy, doesn't pick up his trash can guy, you know, jalopy car guy. I know. You got names for your neighbors. Needs to pull his pants up guy, you know. I mean, you have names, but you need to know their real name, okay? You get to know them. And then also, obviously, we want to encourage them. All right, here's the third thing. Third thing I need to do to love my neighbor as myself, I need to serve my neighbors cheerfully. Serve my neighbors cheerfully. That means to meet their different needs, to figure out what their physical need, their emotional need is, their spiritual need, their practical need, whatever their need is, and you try to meet it. First Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What are those gifts that God's given you for? You've been blessed with wonderful gifts to be used to serve those around you. So use your gifts. You know, so you have gifts, you have abilities, you have talents, you have skills, you have certain background, you have certain experiences in life. Those weren't given to you for your benefit. Those were given to you for the benefit of your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow church members, your family members, for others. Your gift is for the benefit of others, and their gifts are for the benefit of you. God's given me the gift of teaching. That gift is not to bless me. I don't get blessed by my teaching. I get blessed by all the other people that I follow and I listen to their sermons, their messages, their, I follow their life. That's for my benefit. So my gift of teaching is for my benefit. It's for your benefit. Whatever God's gifted you for isn't for you. It's for my benefit. So we need to serve, and I notice I said there, serve your neighbors cheerfully, not grumpily or grouchily. I don't know that those are words even. You're not complaining, i got to serve my neighbor. Pastor Jerry said i got to serve my neighbor. That doesn't count. If you, Jesus is the one. In fact, I'm not the one who said it. Jesus is the one who said it. He says if you want to be, be great, you need to learn to be the servant of all. So meeting needs, serving people that's how we show love in action first john three seventeen says if someone has enough money to live well hmm wonder who that is that's all of us isn't it almost all of us have enough money to live well if seminal church people have enough money to live well and see a brother or sister in need but show no compassion how can god's love be in that person he says, you don't have God's love if you see a need and you just go the other way. You're just faking it. You see, the sky is the limit on getting to know our neighbors. And the sky is the limit on encouraging our neighbors. And the sky is the limit on serving our neighbors. Serve them cheerfully. I got to know most of my current neighbors a whole lot better during Hurricane Irma. Do you guys find this is the truth? I mean, the hurricane's coming. We're in the cone of uncertainty. Now it's a cone of certainty. And, um, and it's barreling down us. And most of my Indian neighbors had never experienced a hurricane before. So we helped each other boarding up our windows. And I introduced many of them for the first time, hurricane neighbors, to plylocks clips. It's a little spring steel gadget. You stick on plywood. And um, I have all these pre-cut boards for my windows. So you just go poof. And I can do my whole house in 20 minutes all by myself. And they're looking at me like, that got everybody's attention. 
You know, next thing you know, I got I got a whole small group of guys going, oh, show me, you know, and uh, I showed them what the fly like. You can't get them, and when the, when the hurricane's on top of you, too late. But I had a few extras, and we shared. We swapped tap cons, and we filled up sandbags together. And um, those are the ways that you serve your neighbor. You get to know your neighbor. You can encourage your neighbor all at one time. And then when we were all without power for a couple of days, we used our generator to uh, run an extension cord out to the front and fire up a Keurig and all the fixings. And we had our own little Starbucks out in the front uh, front lawn. And that's where I got to know. I mean, we're just loving our neighbors who love coffee. And even the ones who never had coffee before, they're like, is this part of a hurricane? Yes. You know, you got to have coffee kind of thing. So first hurricane, didn't know. All right, here's the fourth way you can love, love your neighbors. I invite my neighbors to church. Or in this case, maybe to watch online. I invite my neighbors to church or to watch online. Jesus told a parable to explain the importance of bringing people into God's family. In Luke chapter 14, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, so he said to his, so his master said, go out in the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. That's a direct quote. God wants his house to be full. Now, this is as full as they will let us make God's house right now. In fact, we added seats. We started with 72 seats, and all of you that sit together, clump together, that's great. We can set out some more seats. But God wants his house to be full. There's a lot of churches, because of the pandemic and the areas that they're in, there's either been a big breakout or the government there is taking things a little more cautiously to each his own. That's okay. Uh, There's a lot of churches that aren't able to meet at all. Even some churches in our area who have chosen. Maybe they have an elderly congregation that's in some of those targeted uh, high-risk age groups, and and they've decided not to meet. To each his own, that's okay. But even if churches aren't meeting because of the wonderful technology that God has provided, this wouldn't be possible 20 years ago, you know. We'd all be watching Jim Henry on on uh, on, on Channel Two on on TV because there is no other option for streaming and for bringing the service right into your living room. So because of that, you can not only invite someone to come with you live, you can invite them. Those of you who are watching online, I don't know if you know this. If you watch on Facebook, there's a little thing you click on to say start a watch group. That's basically you're inviting your friends. Invite 10 friends, 12 friends to watch with you online. And you guys can make fun of Pastor Jerry's jersey while you're watching. You can be talking back and forth and saying, can't believe he said that. Or that's you, Charlie, or whatever. You know, haircut guy. And uh, you can kind of watch together and, and, uh, and, and have some fun doing that. Or you can invite people to watch online say hey hey here's a link and they may never tell you they're going to watch but god might put it on their heart they may tune in they may be watching right now across the street from you where you're watching right now and they didn't even tell you they were going to watch but they might mention it later we invite our neighbors we fill up god's house i don't know if you realize this but more people are open to an invitation than ever before in our lifetime more people today. I mean, that guy that you've been, that lady that you've been inviting to Christmas Eve, seven Christmases in a row, and they still haven't come, you should invite them to watch online because people are seeking some spiritual answers. I read a survey this past couple of weeks that said 53% of all young people, 53% of all young people, how did they define young people? Rather loosely. 53% of people 35 and younger, so congratulations, you early 30-year-olds. You're still young. Um, 
53% of people under 35, young people, have gone online to watch a church service sometime during this pandemic. Now, that's the generation. That's the age bracket who's basically told us, I'm done with church. I'm not interested in church. But apparently, I've given up on church. But over half of them have tuned in. And it's interesting to me because that, I've got a friend of mine, he's, he's like, he's late 20s, early 30s, somewhere around, around there. And he's one of these guys, blue-collar worker, hard-working guy. He can, he can fix anything. And what he does is if his washing machine breaks, he's got to fix a gizmo or a timer or a thermostat or some other kind of circuit something. He goes on YouTube, pulls out his phone, and he goes, Maytag. And he puts it right in there, and he says, oh, my such-and-such, my doohickey's broken. And it tells you on YouTube, some guy, some... Some country guys fixing them in your Maytag, and you know, and he shows you exactly how to do it. So because he lives his life this way on YouTube, he can fix anything. Because so when he had some marriage problems, you know what he did? He goes to YouTube. Marriage problems. <laughs> Wife says I won't listen. Help. Y'all are laughing. This is this is totally serious. And it points him to a Michael Todd is one of the greatest black pastors in America, young pastor. He's Nick and Kristen's favorite YouTube pastor. Michael Todd has a series on marriage. And my friend, who who is he might even be my redneck friend. My redneck friend is watching this black pastor from I don't even know where Michael Todd's at. And he's watching this marriage series. He says, pastor Jerry, you got to see this marriage series. It's so awesome. I was fixing my washing machine. And I had this marriage issue, and I, I turned on Michael. Todd, and now he's watching him all the time. And you see, it's not, that, it's not that young people have left the church or don't have any spiritual needs or don't have any interest in God. They're finding. In fact, you may have found us online. You never met me. You're wondering, who's this dude in the number one shirt? What is that about? And God has brought you online. We're glad that you're watching. And God loves you. He has a plan for your life. I hope you'll keep tuning in. My next-door neighbor, Terry, some of you know Terry Moore. She seats people um, in, the, uh, in the early service. Uh, Terry comes to, here to SCC. She's my next-door neighbor. She's part of my Friday night group. She serves on our experience, our experience team. Um, we got to know each other. I met Terry at one of those coffees uh, in the front yard after Hurricane Irma. I said, I'm, you know, we had already kind of met each other. We were boarding each other, uh, boarding each other, but we didn't have a long conversation while we were boarding everybody's windows. So over coffee, you know, with the generators humming behind us, I said, I'm Jerry, and I pastor a church right around the corner. She says, really? I'm looking for a church. I'm like, this never happens, you know. And uh, I'm like, well, I pastor, you know. She says, I've been going to Northland. Pastor Joel Hunter, he just uh, retired, and um, I'm looking for something closer. I said, well, there's no closer church than to our neighborhood than, than SCC. And she came and visited that next Sunday. She hasn't met. She hasn't missed a week since two, over two years ago. Um, I guess three years ago. Now. Terry hasn't missed, a, ha- hasn't missed a week other than if she'd been traveling out of town or there was one Sunday she was in town, she had to quarantine because she was on one of those planes in early March. And, um, and she's here because we started a conversation. I just happened to invite her, hey, you should, come, you should come to our church. So let's review. How do I love my neighbor? Remember, this is about actions. It's not like going, well, that was a nice message, but I'm not going to do anything about it again. So what are you going to do? Well, we've got to get to know our neighbors personally. We've got to encourage them. Uh, we've got to um, serve them. We've got to invite our neighbors. Last one, and I'll wrap up pretty fast. I've got to share Christ with my neighbors personally. 
We need to learn how to explain to our neighbors how they can become friends with Jesus. This is not that hard to do. It's not scary. You don't have to know a bunch of Bible verses. It's just basically one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. You build a, a bridge between your heart and their heart. You build it by serving them, by encouraging them, by getting to know them, by doing a barbecue, by having coffee, by having a glass of tea on your back porch. You get to know them. And at the right time, you let Jesus walk across that bridge. And you introduce them to a God who loves them. God loves everybody. He loves all your neighbors. Everybody needs Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, 16 says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And I love how Peter does this. Look at the next verse. He says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. It's almost as if Peter knew there's going to be a bunch of Bible thumpers trying to shove this down everybody's throat. And he's like, don't be that guy. Don't be offensive. Don't be, don't be judgmental. Don't be clobberum, clobberum. What does he say? So I'm going to ask you about your hope as a believer. Always be ready to explain. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Don't be a jerk. Can I spell it any clearer than that? You see, we don't need salesmen for Jesus. We don't need attorneys that are lawyering people. We don't need, you know, people who are arguing people into following Jesus. The most loving thing we can do is to just tell someone, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. Tell them about Jesus. But it says we've got to be ready to answer. That means that it involves some words. I've met people who say, well, I don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. My life is my witness. I'm like, really? Yeah, it's like, it's like you just walk in a room and, ah, you know, the angels, people just fall on their face for Jesus when you come in. Like, really? Even Jesus, who was perfect, and you're not, right? Jesus, who was perfect, he had to explain grace. He had to explain God loves you. He had to explain God has a, pers- a, a, a plan and a purpose for your life. My dream for our, our church is that we would be known by these five things during this COVID pandemic, and really always. But I, w- I would love for people to, to say five years from now, yeah, remember that COVID year? Man, those people from Seminole Community Church, they were the best neighbors on our block. I want our church to be known for that. Now, if you've never met Jesus in a personal way, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're wondering, well, what's the big deal? Why, why would anybody go through all this talk about so much effort in showing love to the people in their neighborhood. Well, here's the reason. Here's the answer. Because once you've experienced the love of Jesus, if you really experience the love of Jesus, you just can't help but want to love other people with the love that he has given you. It, it changes who you are. In Ephesians 3.18, this is really my prayer for you. It says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So today, if you're watching or if you're here on campus anywhere, I want to invite you to do two things. I want you to experience God's love, maybe for the first time, personally. And second, I want to invite you to become a part of the family called Seminole Community Church. You're welcome here, even if you're watching from afar. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Let me pray for you, and then I'll invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know that without love, nothing really matters. Nothing else really matters. We know that to love others 
is our number one responsibility in life. Help us to not just talk about love, to not just listen to a sermon about love, but to really act in loving ways this week. Today, tomorrow, with our neighbors and our spouses and our children and those that we work with and people that we don't even know, Lord, strangers, those who don't really know you, help us to grow in love for each of these groups of people. And I pray that our church family will overflow with love and that everybody will find acceptance and encouragement and forgiveness. Help us to to feel and to understand and experience your love so deeply that it compels us to share it with others. And we offer it to others and we help help us to show love to others in a practical practical ways to our neighbors especially this week. Now why don't you pray? Just say, if you've never met Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, say, Dear Jesus, I want to know you. That's where it starts. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. Dear Jesus Christ, I want to feel your love. I don't understand it all. But I open my life to your love. Please change my life. Please make me better. Please save me by your love. I want to learn your purpose for my life. The purpose that I've been created for. And I want to be a part of your family forever. Not just here on earth, but in heaven. So I humbly ask you to accept me into your family. And I accept you into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.